Psalm 133 is a song of ascents of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's take a moment and pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do come to you this morning seeking to hear from you. Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes to see wonderful things in your word, that you would help us to understand with our minds, and I pray that you would transform our lives to look more like Christ, our great Savior, and we pray in his name, amen. Well, I do want to bring you greetings of grace and peace from Chestnut Mountain Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to be with you here. Uh, As Buck said, I've indirectly been with you all along, so I'm reminded of what Paul says to the Philippians when he writes in the first chapter, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers, I always pray for you with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And uh, that's kind of what I feel like, though I probably wasn't with you the first day. I feel like I've been with you for a while indirectly, but it is a joy And a privilege to be here with you directly, face-to-face, to to be with you and to worship our Lord together. We pray for you every Sunday morning uh, when I meet with Pastor John, when I'm helping to lead our service at Chestnut Mountain, we pray for you. And so it's it's a great privilege to be here with you as we look to God's Word. We're going to look at Psalm 133, and uh, we'll just jump right in as we've heard the text read already. So... Just recently, my family and I went to uh, a vacation at Universal Studios in Orlando. Now, this is pretty new for us because I have four daughters, and we love Disney. We love the Magic Kingdom because we love the Disney princesses. So this was a little bit new for us to go to Universal Studios for the first time, and I was able to kind of see things anew with, with new eyes, and I think Universal Studios does some things really good. I was actually struck by how well they made things that are completely fake seem to be real. Let me explain. During our time at Universal Studios, I was able to scale the side of a mountain with Spider-Man and jump from building to building fighting off my enemies. I was also able to soar above Hogwarts Castle with Harry Potter and all of his friends, and I came face-to-face with a fire-breathing dragon, and then when we got to safety, Harry himself told me I was brilliant. (laughs) I was in a high-speed motorcycle police chase with Jason Bourne. Now, you and I know that These things are completely make-believe, and they would never happen in real life, but through groundbreaking and state-of-the-art technology, and then Universal also adds in a little bit of their magic, 
I was in a virtual world where I did all of those things and more. I mean, I came face to face with King Kong. And we as a family went, went racing through New York City with Jimmy Fallon, and it was real. <laughs> Almost. The virtual world that technology has created is real. Almost. Now think about what our world has been through over the past few years with the COVID pandemic. It's hit our world and it has really impacted everyone. And for some, it's been deadly. And I don't want to minimize that at all. But for others, it's been a time to somewhat slow down. And I think we can all safely say that we've become more and more familiar with the virtual world. The Zoom meetings that we have, or Google Meets, Viber, WhatsApp, Duo, Signal, FaceTime, they've, they've all exploded, and they've reached into our families, our relationships, our businesses, schools, the medical field, and yes, our churches too. Now, don't get me wrong, in many ways, the virtual connections are a blessing from the Lord. Uh, when we cannot get together because of say, distances or sicknesses or conveniences, inconveniences, or just travel in general, whatever the case is, God has given us technology as a gift so that we can connect with one another. And at our core, we are relational beings and we need to connect with others. So with all of this in mind, with the virtual world in our minds, our passage this morning speaks to us about community real community, God's community. And I believe the church existing and ministering in a post-COVID virtual world needs to understand what real community is according to the Bible. So we have Psalm 133 that speaks to us this morning. It speaks to us about how good and pleasant it is to be God's people and all the blessings that come from participating in a community of God's people. So my outline this morning is very simple. The blessings of community, the blessings of community through words, the blessings of community through presence, and then the blessings of community throughout eternity. So let's look first at the blessings of community. We see in verse 1, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers a better translation for today, when people dwell in unity. You know, we live in a day and age when Christianity has become so individualized that the doctrine of the church is at best simplified and even at worst just ignored altogether. There's a book that I've read in the past with several of my discipleship groups. It's titled, The Disciplines of a Godly Man by Kent Hughes. One of the disciplines that he talks about in that book is the discipline of the church. Now, on a side note, if you plan to read this book, and I encourage you to, I would encourage you to read the last chapter first, because the last chapter is titled, The Grace of Discipline. I think that's important because it's only by God's grace that we can discipline ourselves to be involved in the church. God's grace leads us to discipline ourselves. But I love the way that Hughes describes our contemporary commitment to the church. He says this, 
Church attendance is infected with a malaise of conditional loyalty, which has produced an army of ecclesiastical hitchhikers. The hitchhiker's thumb says, you buy the car, you pay for the repairs, the upkeep, the insurance, you fill the car with gas, and I'll ride with you. But if you have an accident, you're on your own, and I'm probably going to sue you. So it is with the credo of so many of today's church attenders, you go to the meetings, serve on the boards and the committees, you grapple with the issues and do the work of the church, you pay the bills, and I'll come along for the ride. But if things don't suit me, I'll criticize and I'll complain and I'll probably just bail out because my thumb is always out for a better ride. Additionally, Kevin DeYoung says this about community. He says, community is when idealism gives way to realism, and you stick around. Let me say that again. When idealism gives way to realism, and you stick around. The blessing of community is when we as God's people dwell together. David says that it is good and it is pleasant. And so for us to dwell together, we must be a part of the body, the community, It's been said many times that the New Testament speaks nothing of a churchless Christian. Maybe you've heard these things. I've heard them many times. People who say they love Jesus but hate the church. Give me Jesus, but I don't want the church. I'm part of the church, but I don't need to attend a church. And I also heard from one pastor not too long ago, membership is for Sam's Club, not Christianity. Biblically, there's no such thing as a churchless Christian. Christian, if you love Jesus, you'll love his bride, the church, and you'll commit to her, and you'll dwell, not depart, when the going gets tough, or you get your feelings hurt, or the temperature's too hot, or the carpet doesn't match, or just doesn't meet your needs in this season of your life. Biblically, Psalm 133 says it is good when God's people dwell together. There's community. It is good. It's pleasant, and you stick around. But there's also two little words that make dwelling together so very difficult. Those two little words are in unity. We've prayed about that already this morning. These two little words make churches split and make churches close their doors. They cause people to leave the church and go down the block, at least in the Bible Belt. You would never leave a church and go down the block in East Africa. It just wouldn't happen, but it can in the Bible Belt. The two little words, in unity, bring blessing to the community, but they can also bring curses to the community. Anyone can play a trumpet alone, but you throw in the drums, the violin, the clarinet, the flute, the guitar, the trombone, multiple other instruments, and a conductor, unless you have some type of unification and practice and understanding, you're just going to have a bunch of noise. But if you have unification, not uniformity, but unification, you can have an orchestra and you can play beautiful music together. Behold how good and pleasant it is when people dwell in unity. So the next logical question becomes, how then can you experience this blessing in your community here at Christ the King? Verse 2 helps us. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, 
running down on the collar of his robes. Let's look now at the blessing of community that comes through words. Verse 2 is the first of two pictures that David will paint for us so that we can better understand what our life together will look like as a community of faith, what the church is supposed to look like. And so what David is saying to us here is, this is what community looks like. Don't you want to be a part of this? This first picture is of Aaron, Aaron the priest. He's being anointed with oil, and the oil is running down his head. It runs down his beard. It runs down his robe. He is covered in oil. So this should carry us back to Exodus 29 and 30 when Aaron and his sons were consecrated as priests to the Lord. They were set apart as holy. They were set apart to serve the Lord for the purposes of the Lord. But not only does it carry us back to Exodus, but it also pushes us forward to Hebrews 10. Aaron was the priest who sacrificed offerings over and over and over again. But Hebrews 10 speaks of a better priest, Jesus Christ, the great high priest who sacrificed himself once and for all so that we could be brought together into fellowship with God as well as fellowship with God's people in God's community. So this picture carries us back to Exodus. It pushes us forward to Hebrews 10, but then it brings us here to this morning. Who are we this morning? Well, if you are in Christ This morning, 1 Peter 2 tells you, tells us that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, make no mistake, we are to proclaim the excellencies of God to the unbeliever to the one who doesn't know Christ. But we are also called to proclaim the excellencies of God to one another every time we gather together on Sunday or any other time throughout the week. Because we're set apart as God's people to be God's people for one another in our community. So think about it this way. As you came in this morning, maybe you're here and you are deflated or maybe you're just very discouraged by the ways of the world. There's much to be discouraged about. But maybe it's your job or your family, or maybe it's something in your future that you are struggling with. Something is beating you down. You need to hear the promises of God this morning. You need to hear the words of God this morning. On the flip side, maybe you're here and spiritually you're charged up this morning. And and as a matter of fact, you've had a really good week and you're doing well. Well, friends, you need to be the one that speaks to your brother and sister the words of God this morning. You need to remind your brother and sister about God's grace this morning. As a community, we are to speak God's words to one another. Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it this way in his classic Life Together. He says, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again and again when he becomes uncertain or discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help. Now, if if words bring blessing to the community, is the opposite also true? Can words bring curses to the community? 
You better believe it. Consider what happens when God's people don't dwell together in unity, when there is disunity. The Apostle Paul actually writes about the disunity of the church at Philippi in chapter 4 in his letter to the Philippians. We don't know the details there, but we know what disunity looks like. Fighting, complaining, slander, gossip, talking behind closed doors. Those are all mouthpieces of Satan that bring dissension and confusion and bitterness and unforgiveness to the community. Words that prepare the way for church blow-ups and splits and shutdowns. So that's the first picture that we see. The second picture that we see is David's painting for us. Uh, We see it in the beginning of verse 3. It teaches us the blessings of community through presence. I like to call it the ministry of presence. Verse 3, it is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. So you have Mount Hermon at just over 9,000 feet elevation. To put that into perspective, Stone Mountain is at 1,600 feet elevation. Mount Yona is at 3,100 feet elevation. So Mount Hermon is at 9,000 feet elevation. It's the only snow-capped mountain which straddles the border between Syria and and Lebanon. David is telling us that the melting snow that's flowing down Mount Hermon refreshes or it brings freshness to Mount Zion. The presence of the water or the dew is the essence of life. So what does that mean for us this morning? Well, your presence in the community brings life. Or Without you, part of the livelihood of the community is missing. So I'm uh, in the summer, I'm a beach person. I love to go to the beach. I'm holding on for July 8th when I get to go to the beach. And the reason why is because going to the beach is a vacation time for our family. It's a time for us to go and to rest and relax. It's a chance to unwind. I'm sure many of you probably feel the same way. Just being at the beach brings refreshment to me. My physically being in the beach chair, my toes in the sand, a drink in my hand, listening to the waves is good, and it is pleasant. I can try to recreate that here, say, in my backyard, but it's just not the same. And in the past, I've, I've actually, true story, I've videoed the ocean hoping to bring it back home but it just doesn't work. Why? It's not real. In the fall, I'm a mountain person. I love to hike. I love to camp out, to run in trails. I love to mountain bike. Not too long ago, I spoke with a good friend of mine who was um, on a summer internship, and he had the opportunity of a lifetime to go out west to Colorado and to do all those mountain things. And as he was on the phone telling me about his latest trip to the mountains in Colorado, I asked him if he took a lot of pictures. What was his response to me? He said, the pictures don't do justice to what I'm seeing. He couldn't express it. His presence on the trail and my photograph of the trail are radically different experiences. The same is true for our community of faith. Your presence, my presence, makes a huge difference 
in the community. You being here, you being with, you dwelling in unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ is the essence of the life in the church. But hear me when I say it's not through attendance. It's not through programs, but it's through presence. It's through vulnerability and connection and care for one another. Now, just like the first picture, words can bring blessing, but words can also bring curses. Our presence can bring blessing, and our presence can also bring curses. It actually shows up in our lack of presence or our absence. What does that mean? Well, it's the absence of grace in the way that you interact with people in the community. Or it's the absence of love when truth is needed. Or maybe it's your physical presence, but it's your emotional absence because you're somewhere else, even though physically you're here. Your lack of presence in the community is trying to be refreshed by a video of waves or a photograph of a trail. It's real, but it cannot replace the ocean or the mountains. Just consider one example. Let's think someone in our community, in your community, is suffering. Maybe it's cancer or the loss of a loved one. The ministry of presence says, just be there. Just be with. You don't have to worry about what you should say or shouldn't say. Just be there. You don't always have to talk. You should talk to God on their behalf, but just be there. Let the person who's suffering piggyback on your hope. Believe for them. Walk with them through the dark night of the soul. And the morning light will shine soon. The blessing of community comes through your presence and my presence as we're together. I love the hymn by the Gettys. Maybe you know it. It's called, Oh, How Good It Is. Oh, how good it is on this journey we share to rejoice with the happy and to weep with those who mourn. For the weak find strength, the afflicted find grace when we offer the blessing of belonging. Now, just real quick, I want to speak to the fact that Christ the King is called together as a community. Christ the King's presence in Brazelton, the larger community. God has called you together as a people to be a community with one another. But he's also called you to the community of Brazelton, the larger community. There's no doubt in my mind that Brazelton, the community, larger community, needs Christ the King. Why? Because you carry the gospel message of grace. And everyone needs to hear the gospel. Everyone needs to experience the gospel of grace. But my question is, does Christ the King know that she needs the community of Brazelton? The community needs Christ the King, but does Christ the King know that she needs the community? When Christ the King understands that she needs the community, that is the poor, the downcast, the hurting, the broken, the disabled, the culture, those who don't look like you or act like you or smell like you or dress like you, when Christ the King understands that she needs the community, God will begin to transform you from the inside out. And your outreach will be serving with, not lording over. And your ministry will be out of humility, not superiority. Finally, 
The blessing of community throughout eternity. The last part of verse 3. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. As we finish up, there are two final things that I want us to see, looking at Psalm 133 as a whole, and then looking at it within the whole of the Psalms. When we look at Psalm 133 as a whole, there's an idea that's repeated over and over and over again. You've probably heard it. Descended or descending, the oil that flows down, the water that flows down. What we have to understand is it's the blessing of a unified community that descends to us from a gracious God who sent his son from heaven to earth. And while he was here, he lived a sinless life, but yet he was sent to the cross and died a horrible death for your sins and for my sins. And it was his blood that flowed down that brings us back into fellowship with God. And it's his blood that flowed down that brings us into fellowship with one another. This is why God's people gather together in the first place. Our community this morning is heaven breaking into earth. Or you could say we're experiencing a taste of heaven in our community this morning. David is saying, don't you want to be a part of this blessing, this community? For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Where is there? It's Zion. Why is that significant? It's the city of Zion, Jerusalem, the place where heaven met earth. It's the place where the blessing descends to us from God himself. Psalm 133 is a part of a whole, the songs of ascent. From 120 to 134, all of these psalms are songs. They were sung by God's people as they would travel together this physical journey up to the temple in Jerusalem. And they would gather together to worship the Lord. But it was not only a physical journey, it was also a spiritual journey. As they traveled together, they would cast their eyes up to look to the Lord. Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Psalm 122, I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. Psalm 123, to you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. As God's people would gather together to make this physical trek up to the city of Zion, spiritually their hearts would be lifting up to the Lord. And they would be yearning, they would be desiring, they would be singing for a community of believers who would be unified in worshiping the Lord. So my friends, my prayer for you as Christ the King is that the God who gives endurance and encouragement would give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart, in one voice, you would glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the blessing of being a part of your community. Father, we know in many ways that uh, we need to speak your words to one another. So I pray, Lord, no matter where we are this morning, we would speak your words to one another, or we would hear your words from our brother or sister. And I pray, God, through one another, the power of the Holy Spirit would work, and we would hear your gospel promises to us. 
Father, we can't do that from a distance. Help us to get up close with one another, I pray. Father, thank you for this community. Would you continue to work in them so that you could work through them for the message of the gospel to go forth? Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.